Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. You know, we just never know how much pain people are in, do we? We can't even really begin to imagine all the pain that walked through the doors of Pathways Church today. And the temptation for you and me is to think, because we're in a church, that we have it all together. We want to pretend like everything is okay, but the reality is that everybody hurts sometimes. We all know failure. We all know pain. We all know loss. But thankfully... The Bible reveals the merciful character of God. And I'm so thankful for that because God is eager to show us his mercy. He's eager to love us. The Bible says that God loves to show us mercy. And last week, the final point in my message was simply this. If you remember, Peter instructed us to cast our cares upon God, to cast our care. Why? Because when we cast our care, we lose our despair. We lose our despair when we give it to God. And this was Peter's story. The moment that he decided to throw himself at the mercy of Jesus, Jesus moved into action. It's a story of of Peter who was one of the best friends of Jesus Christ. And it can be your story. It can be my story. If we would just cast our care upon God because he cares for us. So how does this happen? That's the question, really. How does it happen that God begins to move into action. How does Jesus, what does he say to our failure? If he loves to show us mercy, what does that look like for you and me? That's the question that we have to consider this weekend. What does Jesus say to your failures? Now, here's what Jesus said to Peter. In fact, he said this, this is interesting. He said it to Peter before he actually denied Jesus three times. If you're new to the Bible, Jesus is, is, uh, He is the savior of the world, and he selected 12 individuals, Peter being one of them, who were the original apostles. And before Peter's denial of Jesus Christ, Jesus told him in advance several things that would impact the trajectory of Peter's life, his failure, before he had this massive failure. Let's see what Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31. Simon, Simon. Now, let me just pause there for a second. Uh, Peter is uh, known as Simon Peter. So sometimes when you're reading the Gospels, you'll see Simon, Simon. Sometimes you'll see Peter. Uh, Peter actually means rock in Greek, okay? And so uh, Simon Peter, it's Simon Bar-Jonah, which means the son of John. So today in our culture, in America, uh, Peter would have been known as uh, Rock Johnson. This is who Peter would have been. He would have been the disciple Rock Johnson, okay, for our culture. Any WWE? Okay, all right, good. Uh, And doesn't he look like someone that we know and we love if you take a look? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, is that Pastor Gary Smith? I don't know. Well, anyway, okay, okay. All right, that's my only joke this weekend. I'm glad it worked. Uh, <laughs> let's put up verse uh, 31 again. Simon, Simon, do you hear the tenderness in Jesus's voice? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. What Jesus is saying is that 
Satan is going to tempt you. He's going to mess with you, Peter. Like this is going to happen, all right? But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when, not if, when, when you have turned back, you're going to repent. You're going to come back to me, Peter. Strengthen your brothers. You're going to use your failure, Peter. See, you're going to use your hurt. You're going to use your past to strengthen. Actually, you're going to build the body, my body called the church. This is going to happen. And friends, can I tell you that your failure either serves as your platform or as your pain? That's your choice. You get to decide on that one. All right, so what do we learn from these two verses? Well, we learn five things that Jesus says to our failure by way of his conversation with Peter. The first is this, write this down. He isn't shocked. He isn't shocked. Jesus isn't shocked. He isn't shocked when Peter made a mistake, and he's not shocked when you and I, when we fail, when we fail one another, when we fail God. He knows our imperfections. He sees all the good and all the bad that we're going to do. He knows everything, and yet he still loves us. He isn't shocked. So you don't have to like overthink it. You don't have to work toward, okay, I got to be so perfect and, and get up tight about it. No, you can just relax in God's love for you because he isn't shocked by your failures. See, he sees your blind spots. Listen to what Psalm 103 verse 14 says. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. He knows we're frail. He knows we're going to falter. He knows that we're going to mess up. He knows that we're going to fail and have massive failures in our life. Why? Because he created us and he continues to shower his mercy upon us. That's why I love when we sang that song in worship, from everlasting to everlasting, the mercy of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? That's good news, that from everlasting to everlasting, God's mercy is available for you and me. And not only does he know what's in you, Jesus, he knows the temptations and the lies that the enemy is going to throw at you. He's aware. He knows everything. Now, here's the second thing that Jesus does for us when we fail. Number two, and this one might surprise you, he prays for us. He prays for us. Uh, Jesus prays for us. That's what he prayed for Peter. He said, Peter, although the enemy wants to sift all of you like wheat, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Now, how many of you know if anybody's uh, prayers get answered, it's the prayers of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, and I don't know if you know this, but man, if I want anybody praying for me, I want Jesus praying for me. Anybody with me on that, right? You want Jesus praying for you. Well, here's the amazing part. Scripture tells us that he lives to intercede for for us. Now, when you pray for somebody, that's called intercession. So if I pray for you, I'm praying for you, you're praying for me. What you're doing is you're interceding for me. And think about it. Jesus right now is living at the right hand of the Father, and he is praying. He is interceding for you. He's interceding for all the failures of your past, all the hurts that you bear currently, all the losses that you've experienced, Jesus is praying for you. Consequently, this is what Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says. It says, therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives, he always lives to intercede for them. 
Not only does Jesus intercede for us, but Jesus calls us to intercede for those around us, especially in the family of God. We're called to pray for one another. That's why if uh, you ever have a prayer request, listen, you can talk to an elder. You can talk to one of our, our staff pastors. You can talk to a prayer partner at the crosses. We receive hundreds and hundreds of prayer requests every year. You can email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. And if you have the gift of intercession, if you just love to pray, you wake up, you want to pray. You just, you have a deep appetite to pray for others. Please, would you reach out to us and say, I want to be a part of that prayer team that you have at Pathways Church because I want to use my gift to serve the body of Jesus Christ. Listen, we want to pray for you. We're a praying church and we serve a praying God. Jesus right now is praying for all of us. That is just amazing. It's another reason that we need to be a part of a circle, that we were designed to do life in community. We need to be a part of a small group because in small groups, we share burdens and prayer requests. We lift each other up to the throne of God. And so we need to make sure that we're a part of community. If you're not a part of a small group, I encourage you, Sunday, February 11th, we're going to be having a group link. We need small group leaders, facilitators. We need people who are in groups because we were designed to be in community with one another. Now, let me just pause here and say, you might be thinking from a Trinitarian perspective. You're like, what? A who? A Trinitarian? A touchdown perspective? What are you talking about, Adam? No, a Trinitarian perspective. How could Jesus be praying to God when Jesus is God? What does that mean? Okay. I mean, aren't they, you know, the, the Trinity? How does that work? Can you, can you like parse that out for me? Okay. Let, let me put it this way to you. Have you ever talked to yourself? Yeah. Those are some of the best conversations. You know why? Because nobody else talks back to you. So when Jesus is praying to the Father, essentially he has have a conversation with himself, which, by the way, just signals to us that even the Godhead is in community. There's, there's unity and there is a beautiful Trinitarian view of Scripture when we look at the prayer life of Jesus. And remember this from a practical perspective, a problem that is shared is a problem that is split into half. And a, a, a joy that is shared is a joy that is multiplied many fold. Okay. So here's the third thing that Jesus does when we fall. I love this one. He believes in us. He believes in us. See, Jesus, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't just uh, kick us one word down. I mean, this is what he said to Peter. He said, Peter, I just want you to know that uh, when you return to me, not if, but when you come back to me, Peter, I, I knew you were going to fail. I, I knew you were going to mess up. I knew you were going to deny me three times. But when you decide to come back to me, man, I'm going to love you because I know that maybe you had a slip, but man, our relationship is solid and you're going to repent and you're going to come back to me. Friends, can I tell you, that's a mark of a true believer. Now, over the course of the last eight months, there's been probably about 60 specific verses and passages of Scripture that have meant the world to me during my time of recovery and restoration. And one of these verses is found in Proverbs 24, 16. I want you to look up at, uh, up at the screens. It says this, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. I love that. You, you know what? 
the, the, the writer of Proverbs is saying? He's saying that even the righteous screw up. They even fall. Sometimes good guys make bad decisions. You know what? All of us, we can make, I don't care who you are, you've made some of the dumbest decisions in your life, and you have fallen down, haven't you? In fact, the, the scripture says uh, the righteous fall how many times? Seven. I don't know if you haven't discovered this yet about your walk with God, but oftentimes the areas that you fall in, you don't fall in just one time. They're habitual again and again and again and again. But I want to let you know that the goodness of God, his mercy covers all of your falls. Amen? His mercy covers all of your mistakes. It's not just the one-time mistake. It's the repeated mistake until you come to a place where you gain victory over that area, that stronghold in your life. And friends, you can. You can recover. You can grow. You can become stronger. You don't always have to wrestle with that. But when you do fall, I want you to know that the mercy of God is from everlasting to everlasting. So there's a balance in our Christian walk. Yes, his mercy is there, but he doesn't want us to take for granted and it to become a license for sin. He wants us to grow beyond that and to find strength and hope and encouragement in him. And we find that by knowing, first of all, he's always there for us. Now, the cultural comparison to Proverbs 24, 16 is this. You've probably heard it before. It's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you, you get back up, you get up. And some of you are here today or you're watching online and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm down again. How could God love me? Your faith has failed you. You're weak and you feel like you can't get back up. And even if you could get back up, you're not sure if God would take you back. But I want to let you know today that you can get back up in Jesus' name. And I want you to know that the merciful hand of God is extended to you so that you can rise again and follow with full faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. So, he's not shocked. Jesus isn't shocked by your failures. He's praying for you, and Jesus believes in you. The love of Christ leads us to the fourth thing. He shows, he shows us mercy when we're down. He shows us mercy when we're down. When, when, when Peter denied Jesus, uh, Jesus showed him mercy, just like he does to us. When we fail, Jesus doesn't arrive on the scene. He doesn't kick us while we're down. He doesn't stomp on us. He doesn't say, see, I told you. I knew you were going to let me down. You're such a big failure. I knew you were going to mess up. No, that's not what Jesus does. You know who does that? Some Christians do that. Some self-righteous, know-it-all kinds of Christians who are lost touch with the mercy of God in their own lives, they have a tendency to do that to us, don't they? You know who else who does that? The primary job description of Satan himself, he is known as the accuser of the brethren and the sisterin. I don't know if sisterin is a word, but... Brethren is inclusive in the New Testament. It includes men and women. And women, you know that he can accuse you just as much as he can accuse men, right? And so the enemy himself will accuse us. He'll say things like, hey, you're not good enough. You can't do it again. Why would you even, why would you go to that church? That's why sometimes when you fail, the first thing that the enemy wants to do is to isolate you, to remove you from people. We talked about that last weekend. You have to step in. You have to lean in when you fail. And you have to say, I blew it. I messed up. I was wrong. I, I, I need help. I need somebody to, to, to be there with me. 
Now, what happens from a very practical perspective is that while he shows us mercy when we're down, the enemy doesn't show us mercy. He takes and he tries to enunciate. He tries to punch our weaknesses such that they begin to gnaw on us and they eat us alive. You know what they're called? They're called triggers. There's certain places, people, things, situations, smells, images, things that serve as reminders. Now, listen, I can't take away your triggers. I'm sorry, I can't. But what I can do is I can give you a weapon, a tool to help you when the enemy begins to place those triggers in front of you. In some ways, you can untrigger the trigger, okay? Now, we're getting into spiritual warfare. This is what I'm talking about. God shows us his mercy. Jesus loves us. And scripture, you can read for yourself in Ephesians chapter 6, gives us the armor of God so that we can fight the triggers, the battles in our mind. Now, let me get very practical. I don't know how many of you have heard spiritual warfare before. Sometimes when I was growing up, I would hear it, and I knew it was real, but yet it wasn't very practical. There wasn't like a plan, like what do I do when those triggers occur? And all of us have different kinds of triggers, right? Your trigger is different from my trigger, but we have triggers. So let me share with you how it works in my life, okay? Here's what takes place. I'll be going through my day and all of a sudden I'll have a trigger. Something happens and I immediately go back to my failure. And depending on where I am emotionally and spiritually, that's why friends, we have to stay spiritually fit. That's why you must devote yourself to chair time. A specific time of the day when you open up your Bible, God's word, when you pray, you talk to him, and you listen to him. You have to stay spiritually fit such that when the enemy, when triggers occur in your life as a result of some deep soul pain, sin against you, you need to know like, okay, or sin that you've committed, okay, okay, how am I going to untrigger that trigger, okay? So here's what takes place. I'll be going through my day, and a trigger will take place, and all of a sudden, I'll be reminded of my failure. And the enemy starts playing some tapes in my head. You're not a Christian. Who are you? Look how you, look how you failed. Do you remember what you did in the past? How could you have done that two years ago? I can't believe that. You're, you're, you're so pathetic. Most recently... If I could be completely candid, you know what the enemy has been playing in my mind? How could you ever return as a pastor? You're not a pastor. You're pathetic. You're going to stand on that stage and tell people about God's truth and his word? Who are you? Now, friends, that's real. That's what happens with my triggers. I don't know what he says to you. But whatever he says to you, I know it's accusatory. I know it's shame-filled. I know there's a lot of guilt. And I know there's a lot of like, I want to remind you of how ugly and bad and dirty you are. Now, here's what we do. We throw ourselves on the mercy of God and Jesus moves into action. And here's what Jesus calls us to do. When you're reminded of your failure, your past, your hurt, you have a choice. I have a choice. I can't remove the triggers, but I can untrigger the trigger by using the opportunity to celebrate the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. So when that trigger hits, here's what I can do. Yep, I did fail. 
Yep, that was my past. Yes, I did make that mistake. I sinned woefully, but thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his forgiveness. Thank God for his love and his power that is changing me. I am no longer that person by the grace of God. And you know what'll happen? Guess what? The enemy will stop bugging you about your failure when you choose to focus on the mercy and the forgiveness of God. That's what happens. That's how it works. Now, let me show you one of my most uh, uh, favorite, uh, amazing verses in the entire Bible. Look up at the screens for a moment. 2 Timothy 2.13 says this, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for God cannot disown himself. Even though we're faithless, even though we're going to fall, even though we're going to falter, you know what the scripture says? God can't stop being God. He can't be unfaithful to his character, and his character is full of faithfulness and mercy. You may give up on God, but God's never going to give up on you. You may give up on God. You may walk out on God. You might want to just... You know, you, you might get so messed up and you might say, I'm done with God, but God's never going to give up on you. His mercy endures forever. He's never going to be unfaithful to you. So here's the best part about what we learn from Peter's failure. I love this part. This is the final thing that that Jesus says to Peter. This is what he does for Peter. And we see the transformation of Peter's life. Here's the fifth thing. He uses our failure to build his church. I want you to put all eyeballs on the screen for a second. He uses our failure. I'd like to put it this way. He uses your failure. I want you to go like this. Everybody take your finger and go like this. He uses my failure to build his church. You know, I've seen that over and over and over and over again at Pathways Church. He uses your failure, our failure to build his church. This is what he did with Peter because he said to Peter, when you repent, when you come back to me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to strengthen your brothers. I don't want you to run away in fear and shame and guilt. No, I want you to come back and I want you to celebrate the mercy of God. I want you to say, I'm not the person I used to be. God's love, his mercy, he's changing me. And the way that we show our love for God is by showing love to the family of God. The way that we show our love to God is by serving the family of God. The way that we show our love to God is by giving to God's family, by serving in God's family, by being a part of God's family, by bringing others and inviting others to be a part of God's family, to introduce them to the mercy and to the love and to the grace and to the forgiveness of God. It's pretty amazing because the fact is simply this, that Jesus is building pathways on people who failed. Pathways is being built on people. God has only ever used failed people. Consequently, this is what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He said, I, I tell you that you are Peter, 
He gives him the name Rock. And on this rock, on me, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. In advance of Peter's greatest and most massive failure in his life, Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to use your failure. I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to put you on display the way of God's life and his redemptive mercy and grace to build the church. And this came to pass because when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2 and the birth of the church took place, Peter was among those individuals, the 120, the disciples, and he stood up. This is what scripture says in Acts 2.14. Then Peter stood up with the 11 and he raised his voice. Peter, a new man, not the man who denied Christ, but Peter, a new man who said, I am new. And I want to tell you about the love and the grace and the mercy of God. The same Peter who denied Jesus Christ just weeks prior is now the Peter who stands up some 50 days later and he says to a whole gathering of people in Jerusalem, after the Holy Spirit fell, he gave the very first gospel message. Can you imagine the disciple, one of Jesus' best friends, who denied Christ in his moment of weakness when Jesus needed him the most. He turned his back on Christ and weeks later he stood up and now he's proclaiming the mercy of God. You know what happened? 3,000 individuals came to Jesus Christ that day. They accepted the grace of God. If God can do that with Peter's failure, what can he do with yours? What can he do with your failure? You know, I imagine in between Matthew 16 and the three denials of Jesus and, and Peter then standing up, there is a beautiful story of Jesus meeting Peter at the shore of Galilee after his resurrection. And this is really profound to me as I was studying scripture this week. I was thinking to myself, when Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, um, he told Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me? And Peter said, I'll never deny you. I'll never disown you. I'll never do it. He did it once, twice, three times. And then Jesus in John chapter 21, he said, uh, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter said, I love you. I love you. I love you. You know what Jesus was doing? Jesus was giving Peter the opportunity to have a redo. Prior to Jesus using Peter's failure, Peter had to have a redo with Jesus. A moment where he said, you know what? I'm done with that. I'm gonna make that right with you, Jesus. I love you, I love you, I love you. And then you know what? He fed his sheep. Oh, that's just so powerful to me. Fed his sheep. Back in... November, we were in a message series on the theme of gratitude. You remember that? We were and still are in a hard season as a church. And we were coming off the heels of an all-church meeting, and I had invited my former pastor, boss, if you will, Stan Tharp, who had morphed into a mentor of mine, and, and now he's my friend. In fact, I, I was talking to Stan last night. And he came and he spoke on one particular weekend 
before Thanksgiving. On that Saturday, I picked him up from the airport and we had a meal together. We were out at Carmela's and sharing Italian meal and we were just going over everything. I was, I was pouring out my heart. I was pouring out my heart. I said, this is where I failed. This is where I messed up. This is my life. This is where I am. And uh, if you remember, one of the things about me is I like to ask people questions, especially those who are wiser, who've been down that road, and I just wanted to ask Stan a question. Now, what I wasn't prepared for is that Stan was going to share the question that I asked him to all of you the next day. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. In fact, I, I, I thought to myself, I was like, oh boy, really? I was like, I, when he shared his response to me, it was like, it was a game changer. It was almost, if you know the term, it was almost prophetic to me. What he shared, his response to my question was so powerful. Now, if you're here today and you're a guest or you're thinking, man, I can't remember what you said last week, Adam. How am I going to remember November what Stan Tharp, who was he again? Like, I, I don't remember that. Well, good news. Uh, I want to show you a little video clip. So direct your attention to the screens to hear the question and Stan's response. At your age, if you knew what you know now at my age, because I'm 60, you're 67, right? Yeah, he goes, what would you tell me? You know, and so the, the quizzing began. Uh, but something that I told him, I think also applies to you. Uh, I said, you know, if I knew now, uh, what I, if I knew then what I know now, I said, as you move forward, don't be afraid to move forward in life and still dream big. And God's not done yet. And I would say Pathways Church, Continue to move forward in the future, and don't be afraid to dream big, because I believe your best is yet to come. And that would have been a good amen point, yeah. And uh, one thing you're going to find out uh, with me is uh, I like to not only communicate, but I think you learn things better, you retain it better when it's not just a talking head, when you can see something, when you interact with it. And so I ask CLCers to repeat stuff. They hate it, and I do it anyway, all right? So I'm just going to ask you to tell somebody our best is yet to come. Go on, tell them. Yeah, you did it. I love it. I love it. In honor of Stan Tharp and Christian Life Center in Dayton, Ohio, how about you turn to somebody and say, our best is yet to come. Go ahead and do that. Our best is yet to come. Our best is yet to come. You know, when Stan said to me, as you move forward, don't be afraid to move forward in life and dream big. That was like, uh, man, I got to tell you, I remember sitting at that table. I wrote that down later that night in my journal. I thought, yeah, that's right. Yes. Move forward. And, 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 and as you move forward, don't be afraid to dream big. I thought, yes, that was so timely for me. I just personally, I was just like, oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I need to hear that. But when he said that to you and I was sitting in my living room watching the message and by judging the reaction of the clip we just watched, I wasn't sure you were so motivated around his statement that we need to dream big because our best days are ahead of us based on the clap and the response of that moment. When he said that, I was like, oof. I was like, Stan, you can tell me that personally behind closed doors, but don't go telling the whole church that. That's how I really felt. I was like, no, Stan, why did you say that? But after further reflection and weeks gone by and where I am in relationship 
to Jesus Christ and where I believe you are in relationship to Jesus Christ stands right. Stands right. Stan is exactly right that our best days are ahead of us, Pathways Church. And I'm not sure where you are. Maybe you're new to this community. You're thinking, yeah, wow, ooh, this church is refreshing. So real and relevant. I love this place. And some of you, you might be at a place where you're like, oh, whew, man, I'm just so glad you're back. We're back to normal. And then some of you are like, wow, this again, another, another hard thing in our history. Like, oh, I'm just utterly exhausted. I don't know where you are and I don't know who you are, but here's what I know based on what Jesus Christ says about his church. Our best days are ahead. Why? Because one day Jesus Christ is coming back for his church and when he appears, all of those who are believers of him will come and will be raptured up into heaven to see the Father. And until then, we have the opportunity to pour out his love in a hurting world because our world is dying to know who he is. Amen? So here's three things that I know about Pathways Church, about Jesus's church. First, Jesus is going to build his church. Secondly, Pathways belongs to Jesus. It's his church. And Jesus uses broken people who have failures to help him build Pathways. Would you be one of those people? Would you be one of those people? Would you be one of those people? Would you be a part of that? And until, until we can collectively look at one another in the eyeballs and say our best days are ahead of us and really feel it deep in our soul, here's what we need to do. This is what I'm doing. We need to place how we feel under what we know. And what we know is what God's word says to us about his church. God's a merciful God. God is building his church. He wants to use you and me, our failures, to make sure that ministry and life and grace and his mercy is extended to all. That's why next Sunday we're going to begin a brand new series out of the book of Ezra called A New Beginning. And I want all of you to commit yourself for the next seven weeks to be a part of the row. I know many of you are online. I love online. I've never shamed online. We have lifted up the online church community. But I'm asking you, if it is possible for you to be in this room, there is something that is different when you gather together with brothers and sisters. You come out for the next seven weeks, either at 830 or 10 o'clock. Make a commitment. Make a commitment to be here. Because I believe that God wants to speak to us about a new beginning. So as we close today, I want to invite you to just take everything out of your hands. And, and I want you to prepare your hearts for two questions that I feel like the Holy Spirit has led me to ask you. At the top of this mini-series, all the way back in week one of this two-part series on Redo, I talked about two individuals who failed Jesus Christ, Judas and Peter. Judas became a traitor and Peter became a teacher. What are you going to do with your failures? How are your failures going to shape your life? Are they going to serve as your prison or your platform? Are you going to get up? Are you going to move forward? Are you going to have renewed faith in saying, God, my best is yet to come. Our best is yet to come. So the first question I want to ask you this weekend is simply this. 
What failure have you had that God wants to use to build his church? What failure have you had that God wants to use to build this church? Don't waste your failures. God wants to use your failure. The second question I want to ask is this. Are you going to respond to your failure like Judas or like Peter? Judas had a breakdown. Peter had a breakthrough. Judas rejected the mercy of God. Peter accepted the mercy of God. What will you do with God's mercy? What will you do? You bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your mercy, your goodness, your grace in our lives. Jesus, thank you that the very things that you spoke to Peter is what you are speaking to us today, that you're not shocked by our failures, that that you're praying for us, that you believe in us. God, that you want to show us mercy and you're going to use our failures. How amazing that you would take us, broken people who are sinners and failures, and you're going to redeem us and restore us and say, now you're going to be messengers of mercy. Father, I pray in the days and weeks to come that you would speak to our church, to every single person, that you would reinvigorate, renew, re-envision us around the fact that, God, you've given us a redo. God, that you are leading us into your perfect plan, that you have a vision for us, and we want to be a part of that. We don't want to miss that, Father, because, Jesus, you love us, and you came to Restore us so that we could love the way that you loved us. And so, God, I thank you for every single person here today. I pray that you would meet with them and speak to them and love them. I pray this in Jesus' name. And if you're here today and you want to make a decision for Jesus Christ and just say, yes, I want Jesus, would you just quickly slip up your hand and say, I want the mercy of God. I need the mercy of God. Quickly, quickly. Yes, thank you. Who else? Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. If you're online, you can put your hands down. If you're online, you can just say, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Let's just pray this prayer out loud together. Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner, and I can only be saved by your grace. I receive your salvation by faith. I throw myself at your mercy. In Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed this prayer said, amen. Hey, can we celebrate those individuals today who made a decision for Jesus Christ? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God.